Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to church. As we gather here this morning, I just invite you to pray with me as we come to God's word together. And as, as we pray, I'm just inviting you to, to pray quietly before I open in prayer. Because you probably walked in here this morning with something on your heart, something that's heavy, some anxiety, some worry, some deep concern. Maybe you just weren't even thinking about God, and now's the time to turn your mind and your heart just towards him. Maybe there's a sin you need to confess that's carrying heavy on you, and God invites you to confess that, and he, he wants to forgive that as well. Now's the time to do that. God, we've sung of your praise and of your excellence. You are the way maker, the miracle worker, the wonder worker, the God who leads, who, who is the sovereign king, who sits in majestic splendor and holiness in the heavens. You are the almighty creator of heavens and the earth and everything in them. We bring you praise today. We acknowledge your greatness, your superiority, and your supremacy. Father, in our land, we need you. In this church, we need you. In our homes, we need you, O Lord. We pray for our country as we face uh, an uncertain future. We look to you to give us the leadership that will enable us to continue to build your kingdom as local churches across this country. And so, Lord, we pray that you would direct the events of history in our own country. We pray that for our own city, our own region and for our own homes, Lord. As we reset in our own lives, coming back to some sense of normalcy, we, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow or in a week or in a month or in a year, but we know who holds the future and who holds time in his hands, and that's you. And so speak to us a real living message today as we come to your word. Use, Lord, the fish and loaves that I bring you as the preacher. I've done my best, but Holy Spirit, would you work and multiply your truth in the hearts and the minds of every listener watching and, and, and here present. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's time for a reset. <laughs> and so, you know, we, we've... Sorry about that. I had this set and then, you know, your ear starts to sweat and it starts to slip and uh, things happen. It's time for a reset. Maybe you're feeling that at work. Maybe you're feeling that at school. As a church, we've, we've reset two or three times. Now we're resetting again, getting back to the fall, getting back to ministry, life groups, youth group. Things are starting. And of course, we're all wondering, is it going to continue? Are we going to be able to keep doing this? What's going to happen? And we're left sort of, you know, feeling like, oh man, what, what, what's going to happen? How, how are we going to do this? And, and there are people out there that are talking about the great reset as well. And some of you maybe are, are concerned about my... My use of that term because there are there are groups like the uh, sorry about that the World Economic Forum, which says that um, we need to reset the world. We need to reset the political structures, the economic structures, the social structures, the health structures, the educational structures, the environmental structures. We need this is our time to to reset. And if you go on their website, they'll say we have this group of strategic intelligence. And as I read it, this is basically what it said. We are the smart people. Let us make, decide for you what will happen. And, and just trust us in this. And, and, and you know, we're, 
we're, we're sitting here thinking, well, so I'm not just supposed to turn off my brain and let you guys, you know, dictate the world. And it's scary, but let me tell you, it's not the first time this has happened. You see, God has been on a reset agenda from the very beginning. Genesis chapter 3. God began his reset narrative. And the whole Bible is a story of God seeking to reset humanity and, and men and women and their hearts back into relationship with him. But what happens is, is that the human heart is, is sinful, does crazy and stupid things, moronic things, gets in trouble, and then God intervenes and brings people back to him, and it's a reset. The whole Bible is a story of reset after reset after reset after reset. So I am inviting you to embrace God's reset narrative. To leave behind the reset narratives that you maybe heard about on the radio, you saw on TV, you, you watched on the internet, those fear-based narratives, those, you know, trust us narratives, though we are in control narratives, leave those at the door. As you come in here now, I'm inviting you to, to a bigger narrative, a bigger story. It's God's reset story for your life. Very beginning, Adam and Eve sin. <laughs> Told them not to eat of that tree. They ate of the tree, and, and, and the curse enters the world. Sin enters the world, but God's like, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. Boom. So God says, the reset narrative is in motion. Genesis chapter 6. People are just killing each other. There's a complete disregard for human life and a complete disrespect for God. And God says, i got to destroy the earth. I'm grieved that I've made them. I, I'm just, I'm horrified as what has become of these people. But, but it says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. God's reset narrative. Okay, boom, flood, reset, boom. Okay, now it's going to work, right? <laughs> Genesis 11. Let's build a temple. Let's build a, 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 a structure that will reach to the heavens. And then, we'll, then nothing can stop us. Human ingenuity, human collaboration, human plans, human reset without God. And God's like, whoa, wait a second. It said, then God came down, frustrated their languages, and then they spread out and filled the earth like they've been told to do after the flood. And then God says, okay, Abraham, I'm calling you. Reset. And then through Abraham's group uh, and, and his kids and, and their kids, suddenly we got this nation of Israel, and they're stuck. They're down in Egypt all of a sudden, you know, and, and they're enslaved. And God says, okay, I'm going to bring you to the promised land that I promised to Abraham. And, and God resets. He pulls them out of slavery into the promised land. Reset. Eventually, go, they, they get a king, and, and then they get the ultimate king, King David. Reset. Here he is. You know, the, the best part of Israelite history is David. He conquers the lands. They are, they are the, the who's who of the world and of history at that time. And God says, this will remain a perpetual dynasty if you remain faithful to me. If you worship me, if you trust me. If you let me be your king, and, and you, 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 know, you rule underneath my leadership, my authority. Well, no. Things fall apart. Solomon doesn't follow his dad, and the kingdom breaks up. 722 BC, the Assyrians come in, take away the northern tribes. Those that weren't killed and destroyed, I mean, they would leave piles of skulls outside the gates of the cities they conquered, the Assyrians. I mean, they were brutal. But those that survived, they kind of dispersed. They bring other people in. They just wanted to eradicate their culture. The southern group in Jerusalem, they remained faithful for a little while, but then they get some weird and some wacky kings, and things go wonky, and finally 586 BC, the Babylonians knock down the walls of Jerusalem, utterly destroy it. Fire, rubble, 
All the stuff from the temple is taken away. I mean, it's absolute disaster. Well, see, God dwelt in Zion. The, the psalm pastor Frank read, it talks about God dwelt in Zion. That, that was his, his, his throne room. That was the place where, where, where he, he inhabited. His glory was manifested in Jerusalem, in the temple, and suddenly gone. And it was like a dark, dark period. But they were warned about this. In the Bible, in the Old Testament, the latter Old Testament, a huge portion of it is dedicated to these prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, the 12 minor prophets. A period of time where God's inviting his people to reset. And they're not resetting. They're not resetting. If you don't reset, I'm going to take you out of the land. Oh, yeah, it'll never happen. God's, Jerusalem is a fortress. Nothing will ever happen. Boom, the walls fall down. The temple's destroyed. The city is razed. People are deported to Babylon and they're wondering, where is God in all of this? Have you ever felt like that? Maybe you feel like that today. Where is God in all of this? Where is God in all this? Well, the Babylonians are overtaken by the Persians. In 538, uh, Cyrus, king of Persia, decides that it it's okay for the Jews to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild their temple. Not only that, he's going to give them the, the means, the, uh, the resources they need to rebuild their temple. Go back. And so this group gets together in Babylon. They've been living there. They've been having kids there. They've been establishing businesses there. Things are going pretty good over Persia now, you know. I mean, things are going fine. They, they're industrious. They're, you know, they've, they've you know, grown and, and accelerated their, their own interests. But, but some of them go back to Jerusalem, you see, and they've got these idealistic picture of, yeah, we're going back to, to the God's city. We're going to go back to be God's people. And they get back there and they find a dump, a pile of rubble. The glory of what once was is no longer. But they begin this work of rebuilding the temple. People locally don't like this. I mean, it's kind of been a bit of a wild west in, the, in Jerusalem in the area. And suddenly God's people are returning with it. Our structure, organization, leadership, and other people that are there don't like it. They kind of like the, the wild west. And they're like, oh, that, let's, you know, so the opposition comes. And they stop building. They stop building. They stop building. The, the, you know, they're, they're kind of trying to run through religious ritual. And the temple lies in ruins for 18 years. And that is when God sends Haggai to speak to them. And that's where we are in the Bible, the book of Haggai. It's before the book of Zechariah. He ministers alongside of a guy named Ezra and Nehemiah and Malachi. These are the post-exilic prophets of the day and, and leaders that God is using. But Haggai is sent from God to speak a message to the people, a reset message. And you're like, hey, so a message that's sent in 520 BC, can it have any relevance for me today in 2021? I believe it does. In verse one of Haggai, resetting your priorities, he says, on the first day of the sixth month of King Darius, the second year, the Lord spoke this message to the prophet Haggai, to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to the high priest Joshua, son of Jehozadak. He dates it very specifically. Some of the <clears throat> parts of Scripture, we're not sure what the date is, but he's like, specifically on this date, 18 years after the Edict of Cyrus, 16 years probably after they, they began to build the foundation of the temple, but, but they've been doing nothing. And it's like, finally, God speaks to them. He speaks through them, through the prophet, 
to the one who, who is tied to the, to the king. I mean, the, he's the grandson of the king that was in power when the Babylonians crashed through the wall. Here's his grandson, and he's like, okay, I'm speaking to you. You represent the kingly line of David. In Matthew, his name will show up in the genealogy of Christ, Zerubbabel. And to Shealtiel, the, 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 the high priest. You see, in Jeremiah's time, as before the Babylonians crashed the wall down, I mean, Jeremiah's bringing this message. The prophet is speaking, but the priests and the king are not listening. But here in Haggai, after all of that, and in the time of divine reset, the prophet, the priest, and the king are now listening to the word of the Lord together. What is the message that God is going to say to them? And in verse 2, it says, the Lord who rules over all, or maybe your translation says the Lord of hosts. Um, it's, you know, the, the, it's the Lord of armies, maybe your translation says. It's, it's describing God and his sovereign and majestic authority, his, his kingly authority. It's the, it's the Lord who, who is the ruler, who is the sovereign king. Now, you're wondering, okay, the, we're sitting here, we're looking at a, a pile of rubble, but, but you're the king? But, but he's like, look, I am the king. I'm the Lord of armies. I, I, I'm, I'm the one who, who sits enthroned in, in heaven, and I'm speaking to you. And he says, look at the message. These people, that's pretty significant. Normally, when God's speaking to the nation of Israel, he says, my people. But God disassociates himself from this message and says, these people, those people, you don't want to disrespect someone. You know, you don't use their name. You say, well, that guy, that's, that's a clearly a way for you to say, I'm not acknowledging who he is because he doesn't deserve that kind of recognition. That guy, these people have said, the time for rebuilding the Lord's temple has not yet. I mean, God put it in the heart of Cyrus to bring this edict about that, that, is, that began the process of rebuilding. I mean, I mean, God said, it's time in 520. In 538, the people are saying, it's not time yet. Oh, oh, there will be a time, but it's not time yet. No, 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 that's not the right time. As if we get to choose the times. You love being in control of your time. I, mean, I do. I like to set my schedule. I like to commit to the things I want to commit to and not commit to the things I don't want to commit to. I mean, we all like that. We all walk into meetings and fearing what someone's going to put on our schedule, right? Now, you know, the time, the time. These people, no, it's not time yet, God. I mean, not yet, but, but sometime. I mean, yeah, we'll get to it, but, but the time is not that night now. It was a very self-centered perspective. Sometimes maybe we come to church like that. And I have a little video, I think, that uh, maybe has a parody on that here. Imagine a church where every member is passionately, wholeheartedly, and recklessly calling the shots. I don't know who sets the worship center temperature, but why does it have to be so cold? Why do you have to be so right? Heated chairs are now being installed. This one wants a small church, but I'm afraid if it's too small, they're gonna make me volunteer like crazy. And I don't stack chairs, do I? Makes total sense. Join now and we'll let you decide the size of our church. We're millennials and we want a church that- Say no more. Any requests you have will be granted immediately. Parking is horrible. 
It takes me almost six minutes to get from my car to the building. Oh. It's going to take me six seconds to tell you a valet service is on the way. My pastor's preaching, it's all over the map. I say, oh, I don't know, stick with the books of the Bible. We should be only exegetical. Okay, next week we start John chapter 1, verse 1. And we'll even start pronouncing that word the way you said it. <laughs> hey, I'd like this sermon to be no longer than 30 minutes. How does 15 minutes sound? Hey, anybody willing to go to 15 should be willing to go to 10. <laughs> you drive a hard bargain. But from now on, five-minute sermons it is. <laughs> now you're talking. <laughs> Me, church, where it's all about you. <laughs> you laugh, you laugh, but let's be honest, right? We all have those feelings of what we want to get out of the church experience. And we all feel the pressure when, when you know, Pastor Frank gets up and says, someone needs to make coffee here. I mean, we can make coffee, but we rob someone when we make coffee of the opportunity to serve. I put up a gate last night downstairs and I robbed someone here of an opportunity to serve the Lord with gifts that they have that are superior to mine. There are kids downstairs that are our most precious treasure and uh, someone is missing an opportunity to build for eternity because that's not a priority for them. Uh, you know, these people had excuses. I mean, it was pressure. I mean, they're sitting in a vulnerable situation. They're trying to get their lives established. They left established businesses, you know, healthy, good homes back in Persia. And there they are, you know, putting rocks together, building a house, building a business, establishing trade. And, they, and it's going good. But they're like, it's not time yet. It's not time yet. It's just a little bit more, a little bit more. I don't know if you watch the Muppets Christmas Carol, but... You know, Scrooge is, is engaged to this girl, and, he, and, and, and there's a song where it's like, you know, the love is gone, right? But basically, he's like, it's not time yet. It's not time yet. I'm, it's not ready yet. The business isn't doing good enough yet. He's not getting married. And she's like, it's over. And, and she leaves Scrooge hanging there, and, and here they are. It's not time yet. It's not time yet, God. It's not time yet. He's like, it's time. And so it says in verse 3, the Lord spoke through the prophet Haggai as follows. Is it right for you to live in richly paneled houses while my temple lies in ruins? Is it right for you to have the heated chairs and the cedar paneling and the roofs and, and you know, air conditioning and, and all that stuff and, and, and yet every day you walk by this pile of rubble and then pretend that it doesn't exist? Is it right? Literally, the Hebrew is like, it's a play on that word time. I mean, it's not time, but is it time for you to be living like that? While my temple lies in ruins, is it time? And here's what verse 5 says. Here is then what the Lord who rules over all says. Think carefully about what you are doing. Or consider what you are doing. And so, you know, in this passage, in the reset agenda, he's going to say, you know, here's things, three things to consider. The first is to consider what you have been doing. The second is to consider what you should be doing. And then the third is to consider what is God doing. But the first question is, what have you been doing? Consider. Think carefully, uh, Eugene Peter says. Take a good, hard look at your life. It's, it's a word which uses the idea of your heart, you know. 
Open up your heart and, and, and see what is going on there. Think carefully about what you are doing. Think carefully. Consider the trajectory of your life and where it has gotten you. Now, here's my issue with reset agendas. When you take God out of the reset agenda, it's just a feeble human attempt to fix a problem that no human can fix. That's the whole history of, of civilization. Just study history. You'll see civilizations rise, civilizations fall, rise, fall, rise, fall, rise, fall. Why? Because they don't include God in their reset plan. The people of Israel had God in their reset plan, but when they kicked him out of the plan, that's when they, they, they crashed. And it's an invitation for us to say, where is God in your plan? Where is God in, in our plan? Think carefully about what you have been doing. You've been doing your own business. You've been building your own house. You've been, you know, patting your own nest. And all the while, my temple lies in ruins. Now, you and I are like, what, what is this all about? The temple was the place of God's dwelling. In the Old Testament, it was the, it was the physical, geographical place where, where God's glory was manifested and where sin was atoned for. I mean, you brought sacrifice to the temple and you dealt with sin. He's like, basically, I don't have a place to live and I can't deal with your sin right now. And you don't seem to care about it. And that's a real offensive to me, God says. I want to be with you. I want to live with you. I want to be a part of your life. And you're doing your own thing. Consider what you have been doing. And he says, Here, look, look at your life. <laughs> Verse 6. You planted much, but you harvested little. You eat, but you are never filled. You drink, but are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but are not warm. Those who earn wages end up with holes in their money bags. All of the promises, all the pursuits that you're doing are not producing any satisfaction, any significance, any reset. Here's the issue in our world. There are lots of messages out there, right? This is like, like Freedom 55, right? Or you deserve it, you know, or you've, you've earned it. Like th things like that, where, where you think, okay, I'm going to live so I can, can have this ideal life. And I'm telling you, like my wife was a counselor before we had children, and, and she'd get these, these men that had retired with, with income, et cetera, et cetera, you know, woodworking tools, garages, all this stuff, you know, placed down in Phoenix, and, and they come, and they're like, I'm empty. What's wrong? And then she would point to the spiritual thing. They didn't really want to think about that because they had heard this narrative their whole life. They had achieved the narrative, and it did not satisfy. Here we are. You're working, you're working, you're working, you're working, you're working. Lloyd Minster people, you know this. Some of you sold your soul during the rush. And then when things got tight, that company didn't care about your soul. You could die in an oil rig, and they'll send flowers to your funeral, but they're moving on. They're drilling other wells. I had a guy tell me from Marshall, not a church guy, but he's like, man, I was driving, you know, 40 days, you know, in a row and, and working 12, 16-hour days. He's like, for what? This is what Haggai is saying 2,500 years ago. You do this, you do that, you do this, you do that, and nothing is bringing any peace to your soul. Consider what you have been doing. So let me get a little personal here. What have you been doing in this last 18 months, two years? What have you been doing? Have you been listening to the narratives? Have you been living in fear like the rest of our world? Have you been trying to reset your life without God? I mean, what have you been doing? And we'll get to the next question, what should you be doing? 
But what, what have you been doing? Have you been binge watching Netflix? And, and that's fine once in a while. It's, he's not saying don't enjoy. He's not saying don't live in a nice house. He's not saying, you know, don't, don't live your life. Don't plant. Don't, you know, don't drink. Don't eat. You know, don't, don't collect money in your pockets. What he's saying is when you t- do all these things without considering and placing me within your life plan, it's destined to fail. Consider what you have been doing. But then he says, consider what you should be doing. Verse 7, it says, Moreover, the Lord who rules over all, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, he says, pay close attention to these things also. Again, the same word, consider carefully. Take a long, hard look at your life. Consider what you should be doing. He says in verse 8, Go up to the hill country and bring back timber to build the temple. Then I will be pleased and honored, says the Lord. What should you be doing? Get up, go up, cut down some wood, build my temple. God's like, I'm inviting you to be part of my reset plan again. Consider this a re-invite. And that re-invite involves action. No more words, no more, no more false plans, no more procrastination. What should you be doing? Get up, go up, cut down, Bring back, build, come on. It's real simple. Get into my plan. It was hard for churches in the last period of our immediate history to know what to do. And Christians got really weird. Some are like, do this, don't do that. Follow this, don't follow that. And it was, thankfully, New Life, we navigated it without any, any serious or significant division. We kind of agreed to disagree about different things, and we just kept focused on Jesus. What should you be doing? Well, Jesus gives us commands. Go make disciples, right? You know, gather together, worship, minister to one another, you know, show love, one another, serving one another in love. There's so many things in the Old New Testament that, that we're commanded to. It's really clear. It's not, it's not ambiguous. What should you be doing? Build my kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. You know, you know get on to my reset agenda. That's what God invited Abraham into his reset agenda, Moses into his reset agenda. Now here Haggai's part of his reset agenda. And he says to me and you, be part of my reset agenda, which transcends any temporal historical circumstances you're in. It's a bigger picture. It's like bringing people back into relationship with me. That's my reset agenda. Be a part of that. He's not necessarily asking us to rebuild a, a building. Although, hey, I'd love to build a new building here. And I'd love to expand our ministry impact in, in our community. That's not what it's about. It's about us doing the work on the, in our hearts that affects the hearts of other people. And we can do that in this building. We can do that in our homes like these life groups will be doing in the next week or two. We can do that the youth group's going to do and, and in other places. But what should you be doing? He says, when you do that, then I will be pleased and I will be honored. That's what we should be doing. Things that please God things that honor God. The word for pleasure, delight, is the word that was used when you would bring your sacrifice to the temple when you sinned, and you would offer that sacrifice, the animal would lose its life, and then the priest would say, this sacrifice was acceptable. The Lord is delighted. He is pleased with this offering, and you would leave feeling forgiven because atonement had been made for your sin in that moment. This is that word. Then I'll be pleased. He says, then I'll be 
honored. The word also could be translated glorified. You know, when the temple was destroyed, it was a great dishonor to God's name. The people of God had let him down. They had totally disappointed him. All the nations around are like, ha, 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 look at Israel. Their God is weak. He's poor. You know, he's not in control. Ha, 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 our gods are stronger. And, and, and he's like, I, you know, we all know that not to be true, but, the, you know, the, the temple was an indication. Well, there, there, there's their God. Look at the pile of rubble. What a strong and mighty God is he, eh? And, and, and he's like, but if you just do these things, the things you should be doing, then I will be pleased and honored because you can bring your sacrifices into me. My presence can dwell in that place. The Shekinah glory on the day of atonement will fill the Holy of Holies. I'll, I'll be there with you and you will know that I'm part of this reset plan and you're with it. You're in there with me. What should you be doing? And then consider what God is doing. He says in verse nine, you expected a large harvest, but instead there was little. And when you brought it home, it disappeared right away. Why? Asked the Lord who rules over all. Because my temple remains in ruins. Thanks to each of you favoring his own house. Literally, each of you running to his own house. You're all doing your own projects, but you're forgetting about me. He says, verse 10, this is why the sky has held back its dew and the earth is its produce. Moreover, I've called for a drought that will affect the fields and the hill country, the grain, the new wine, the fresh olive oil, and everything that grows from the ground. It will also harm the people, animals, and everything they produce. He's like, this is what I'm doing. I'm trying to get your attention. Return to me. Do the things that I've called you to do. Follow me. Trust me. Get into my narrative instead of your tiny little narrative. I'm inviting you into a bigger story, God says. Consider what you have been doing. Consider what you should be doing. Consider what I am doing. I believe God orchestrates the events of human history to get our attention. You know, May 26, 1940. Cathedrals and churches jammed in the UK and throughout the Commonwealth. Why? Because the king had called for a day of prayer. A leader, a secular leader had called the people to pray. Why? Because there were a bunch of allied soldiers stuck on the other side of the English Channel. So let's pray. Churchill, who wasn't a, necessarily known to be a godly man, hoped that maybe 50,000 would get out. If they were lucky, 100. There were, you know, over 300,000 soldiers over there, allied troops. The king said, let's have a day of prayer. People were lining up on the streets to pray. A secular government called for God's intervention. 800 vessels, fishing boats, pleasure craft, commercial boats headed across the English Channel on that day. Interestingly enough, uh, the days preceding, for some reason, for some reason, Hitler decided to stop his troops' advance for some odd reason. The day before the, the great evacuation was a horrible weather day. The German aircraft were unable to get into the air. And the day of the evacuation, the English Channel was calm. 340,000 soldiers were evacuated off while people prayed. I've yet to hear of any government asking for us to pray in this time we're in. So therefore, I am skeptical of their advice to us at all times. I pray for my government. I pray 
for those in leadership. I show them the due respect. I pay my taxes. I do the due citizens, uh, due diligence as a citizen, but I do not trust their narrative. Why? Because they have not included my God in their narrative. And I come back to this 2,500-year-old book, and there's the leadership, and, and there's God speaking to them, and they're given an opportunity to respond. We are not handicapped, handcuffed, tied up in this times in which we're living. God's reset agenda continues. And we are given an opportunity to be, to be a part of that, to partner with him. I invite you to pray with me. I mean, really, for our country, for our community, for your neighborhood for your neighbors, your family, and your friends. I invite you to be part of something eternal. I mean, think about the last 18 months. What have you done or accomplished that you think will actually carry any value into, your, into heaven? Do you understand that? Like, like your jobs are important, but most of your jobs won't carry into, into eternity. Your hobbies are, are valuable, but they won't carry into eternity. The properties you own, the investments you have are gonna be burned by fire someday. Like, understand, do it. Be wise, be diligent in all those things. But understand, you are given, God invites you to be a part of something that could last beyond your life and forever. And the worst thing that could happen is you get to, to Jesus and he's like, what did you do with your life? Well, I worked hard and I, I did all these projects. He's like, well, it's, well, it's just ashes now. Didn't last. Pastor Frank invited you to be a part of something and you were too busy. It wasn't time. Pastor Elijah invited you to be a part of something and, and, and you, you were too busy. You, you had your own things. You were out at the lake. You were doing this. You were doing that. You were building this project. And, and God says, I invited you and you missed it. I don't want you to miss it. We need to reset our priorities, people. We need to figure out what it looks like to be part of God's reset plan. Investing in those things that will actually last after our lives. And most of us do a lot of things that won't last. And that's just living life. That, that, that's part of it. I get it. You got to eat. You got to work. You got to pay bills. That, that's just, but in that, God says, how can you be part of my reset plan? The place you work, you're there because God wants you there. God intends to use you there. The neighborhood you live in, those neighbors are not there by chance. God placed you there for a reason. Do they, or do you bring blessing to your neighborhood? That's why God, that's why God put you there. How can you bless those around you? How can you reset your priorities at this point? As the world tries to reset everything else, we just turn, tune that out and we say, okay, God, what are you tuning us into? I, I can't do this, run this whole church by myself. Frank and I can't do this. Frank and Elijah and I and Abigail can't do this. But we are at another point in New Life's history where we have to take it to the next level. And we've excused people's inactivity because, well, you can't ask people to, I mean, and, and I'm, just, I'm just saying, we can't go to the next level if you guys are going to make excuses for not doing stuff. We need to be a part of this. And so we're inviting you to be a part of God's thing and, and, and to say, you know what, and to step forward and, and to engage and to say, yeah, I, I can help with kids. I can help with this. I can do this. I, and, and, and look for things to do and, and say, hey, can I fix that? And, and Frank and I will be like, yeah, absolutely, fix it, paint it plant flowers, whatever. I mean, if God moves in your heart to do something, then come and do it. I invite you to be a part, but it starts with us considering what, God, what we've been doing, what we should be doing, and what God is doing. God says, come and join with me in what I am doing. And we'll anticipate great. What will happen to them? What we'll find out next week. What, what's going to do? What's going to happen? Are they going to fail again? 
Will, will actually change happen or will it just be like, you know, trying to get different results by doing the same thing over and over again? What's going to happen with the people of Israel here? We'll find out next week as we look at their reset journey. But God asks questions of our hearts today. Where are you going to reset in your own life? The team's going to lead us this song as, as we close and I'll come up and, and pray. But uh, this is a time just to prayerfully consider what, what is your reset agenda? How is God inviting you to reset in your own life? Here we are, Lord. We feel inadequate. We don't feel like we have anything that you could use, and yet you delight to use weak, fragile, and broken people like us. So we offer to you, Lord, our finances, our calendars, our homes, our vehicles, our workplaces, our neighborhoods, May we advance your reset agenda in this world this week in simple and even little ways. Help us. I pray, Lord, for your strength for your people to be courageous and strong. I pray that they would have minds that are just grounded in your, in your truth. I pray that, that they, their spirits would be confident in, in the hope that they have in the eternal life with you. And so use us, Lord. Use this body. I pray, Lord, that you would raise us up and help us to set our priorities in line with your priorities this week. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, if you'd like prayer, you're welcome to come forward and pray with some of the leaders here, or you can catch Pastor Frank at the back. But God bless you. Have a great week.